welcome to the Cory Doctorow podcast. Not a podcast I expected to be doing, but there is a hurricane blowing into Southern California right now, unprecedented, at least for many decades, and um, everything is closed. And so I don't get to go for a swim and do my physiotherapy today, which is bad, but I do get to talk to you, which is good. This will be my last podcast for a little while because I'm about to leave for Burning Man. If you are going to Burning Man, you can come and say hi to me. I will be speaking at Center Camp on Tuesday at 2.40 p.m., giving a talk about inshittification and how to reverse it. And then, as every year, I'm going to be hosting our speaker series at our camp, Liminal Labs. That's held every year on Wednesday at 12 o'clock. This year, my guest is Dr. Patrick Ball. Patrick's going to be talking about how his group, the Human Rights Data Analysis Group, uses applied statistics to establish culpability for the recruitment of child soldiers in war crimes tribunals and also for American police forces' murder of civilians and how they show that murder can be attributed to the upper echelons of the police ranks. It's a very exciting talk, and Patrick is great. The day after I get back to L.A. on September the 6th, I will be on stage with the wonderful Naomi Klein. I'm going to be helping her launch her new book, Doppelganger, and we'll be at the LAPL main branch on, again, September the 6th at 7 p.m. And then I'm turning around and flying to Toronto, and I'm flying to Toronto, (laughs) I'm flying to Toronto because talking heads are having a reunion, and I'm going to see them. And it's like the first and last time they've appeared together since they broke up. They're not playing music, they're just talking. It's a screening of uh, Stop Making Sense at the Toronto International Film Festival. But my publicists also managed to book me a stop for my new book, which comes out that week. That's the Internet Con, How to Seize the Means of Computation from Verso. And I'll be appearing on September the 12th in Toronto at Another Story Bookstore on Roncesvalles at 7 p.m. Again, that's September the 12th, 7 p.m. at Another Story Books on Roncesvalles with uh, the Internet Con, How to Seize the Means of Computation, which comes out on September the 5th. On September the 14th, closer to home, I'm going to be in San Francisco hosting the Electronic Frontier Foundation's EFF Awards. And then on October the 2nd, I'll be in Des Moines, Iowa with Victoria Schwab hosting her And then I'm keynoting on the 16th of October in Minneapolis, 16th of October. I'm keynoting the ACM Conference on Computer-Supported Cooperative Work and Social Computing. I will also be doing a bookstore event in Minneapolis around October the 16th. It details TBD. And from there, I'm going to West Virginia. And again, I'll have some details for you later. I'm doing the big humanities talk. So as I record this on the 20th of August here in Los Angeles, it is the closing hours of the Kickstarter for the Internet Con. And the last podcast I managed to get out was about that Kickstarter. You guys really came through for me. We are now at just over $136,000 with 4,529 backers. I'm hoping we may even tip to 140 or 150 before this is over. As I record this... We've sold about 2,100 audiobooks, 2,200 audiobooks, 3,200 ebooks, and about 1,200 hardcovers. So that is an excellent pre sale sale. That is great. That is going to do really well in terms of getting interest from booksellers and reviewers and the press. And I'm doing a bunch of press and it's all going to be great. So thank you very much for participating in this. If I were a better self promoter, I would have gotten a podcast out before the Kickstarter closed, but this is good. And speaking of Kickstarters, there is another one of these coming up because I have spent the whole week 
recording the audiobook for The Lost Cause. This is my post-Green New Deal white nationalist militia and seagoing anarcho-capitalist wrecker counter-reformation adventure novel that Bill McKibben called the first great Yimby novel. I've got other great cover quotes from uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. This is a book that the reviewers have really liked. It's called The Lost Cause, comes out in November. I'm going to be kickstarting it in October and I am the one reading the audiobook. After I read the audiobook for the Internet Con, the director, Gabrielle DeQuer, was so enthusiastic about my reading that she said she thought I should try reading the audio for this novel. And so I have been working under directorial oversight on this audiobook, something I've never done for fiction before. You know, you've heard me read my fiction on this podcast, and I, you know, read my kid bedtime stories and stuff. But reading fiction for like six hours a day for a week solid under directorial oversight, really going at it over and over again, getting those lines perfect, was super intense and very interesting. And I felt myself getting palpably better as the week went by. And boy, oh boy, I feel like it's made me a much better reader uh, and maybe even a much better listener to audiobooks. I'm so excited about this audiobook. It's going to be fucking dope. So I'm going to kickstart pre-sales of that starting in October probably like second week of October, somewhere around there, maybe a little earlier. I'm hoping to line up the timing just right so I can do all the shipping so everybody gets their book on the on-sale date. It's going to be a little late with Internet Con. I think with um, Burning Man, there's just not going to be any way for me to get it into everyone's hands exactly at the right day. Although maybe I might be able to get everything except the signed ones into people's hands, and then I'll sign the signed stock the day I get back and get those out that week. Anyway, just as a heads up and to let you know what I've been doing this week. So this week for the podcast, I'm going to read one of my recent Medium columns, as is my want. This one, it was sparked when someone on social media saw a post I'd made about how the old good internet had been replaced by this shitty internet and said something snarky about how, like, Gen X were turning into boomers and, you know, sort of marinating and toxic nostalgia. And it got me thinking, as good criticism does, and it led to me writing this column, which I'm going to read to you now. From doctoro.medium.com, this is In Shitternet. The old good internet deserves a new good internet. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. Socrates Nostalgia is a toxic impulse. Judge John Hodgman I'm an official old person. I turned 52 last month. According to the AARP, that means that I am now officially entitled to complain that back in my day, things used to be better. I am suspicious of this impulse. When I started dialing BBSs in the early 1980s, the old hands told me that it was all downhill after acoustic couplers and that modems were degrading the new sphere into a fallen paradise. 
When I got on Usenet a couple years later, every disagreement would feature some Unix graybeard telling us that the FidoNet gateway had opened the floodgates for dumbass kids like me who are stinking up the joint and adding nothing of value. By the time I joined the well in the late 1980s, it was too late. The rarefied Athenian agora had been overrun by barbarians, and the age of reason was over. Then there was the eternal September, the moral degeneracy of menuing systems, and the wicked temptations of a GUI. I even got in on the act, explaining why I won't buy an iPad and think you shouldn't either. Here's the thing. All those other cranky olds complaining that we were on a grease slide to hell were wrong. I was right. The internet really was better back before it turned into five giant websites, each filled with screenshots of text from the other four. The inshittification of the internet isn't the result of which technology we use. The important thing about a technology isn't what it does, it's who it does it for and who it does it to. The internet didn't inshittify because the honorable UUCP monks who served as the internet's patrician guardians were replaced by venal tech bros out to make a buck. The money grubbers were always there, as were those selfless guardians. The internet inshittified because we dismantled the anti-inshittification systems that kept the internet good, the antitrust laws that ensured that big, ossified companies couldn't maintain their dominance by spending their way to glory. We ended the cycle of renewal. Once, when a company grew so big that it became a threat to our future, it collapsed under its own weight. Once, Honorable hackers wielded interoperability, that elegant weapon from a more civilized age, to fell the giants who claimed dominion over our digital lives, only to be felled themselves when they forgot their humble origins and took up the wicked practices of the giants they had helped to slay. The internet didn't inshittify because we got the wrong people. The old good internet had lots of companies— founded by mediocre cowards who would have bought out their competitors or dirty-tricked them out of existence in a heartbeat. The internet didn't inshittify because we got the wrong technology. The old good internet had plenty of sticky traps and walled gardens. The internet inshittified because we got the wrong rules. We let companies merge to monopoly so they had tons of money and the unity of purpose to spend it corrupting our political process. Then, they used that lobbying might to buy policies that made it illegal to improve their products and services so that no one could do unto them as they did unto their forebears. We let them create a system of felony contempt of business model, and they used it to enshittify the internet. Incentives matter, and impunity matters more. I miss the old, good internet, but I don't want to bring it back. I want a new good internet, one where users can't be locked in because we make it legal to reverse engineer products and services so that you can leave a social media platform, but still send and receive messages from the people you leave behind. Jailbreak your devices so you can remove anti-features like surveillance, ink locking, or repair blocking. Move your media and files out of the silo whence they originated and into any player you want. 
I want a new good internet where we constrain the conduct of tech companies, banning unfair labor practices, deceptive marketing, corporate hostage-taking, and other forms of rent extraction. I want a new good internet where it's both illegal to impose bossware on your employees and where those employees can legally hack the bossware their bosses shove down their throats. I want a new good internet where creative workers and their audiences can reliably connect with one another, where news reporting isn't held hostage to extractive processes. I want a new good internet where we seize the means of computation so that the digital infrastructure that connects our romantic, personal, political, civic, economic, educational, and family and social lives is operated by and for the people who use it. The Inshitternet wasn't inevitable. It was the result of specific policy choices. The decision to encourage monopoly formation, which created the corporate power and concentration that led to even more policies, granting the monopolist unlimited freedom to abuse us and denying us any right to defend ourselves. Anything that can't go on forever eventually stops. The disinshitification of the internet isn't a nostalgic bid to restore the old good internet. It's a plan to build a new good internet and to make the inshitternet a bad memory, a mere transitional stage between the old good internet we had and the new good internet we deserve. All right, that's this week's reading. If you are going to Burning Man, come on Tuesday at 2.40 to Center Camp and hear me talk about inshittification. And at noon on Tuesday at Liminal Labs at 6.15 and F to hear Patrick Ball speak about war crimes and statistics. If you're in Los Angeles on September the 6th, come and hear me speak with Naomi Klein at the LA Public Library. And if you're in Toronto, come see me still glowing from that Talking Heads reunion on September the 12th at Another Story Books on Roncesvalles, talking about the Internet Con, how to seize the means of computation. I'll talk to you when I get back from all of that travel. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week. <laughs>